Lord, thank you that you love me and your love does change everything. In fact, that's like such a profound understatement because you are love. Not only do you change everything, according to Solomon in Ecclesiastes, you do everything. So all glory, honor, and praise belongs to you. And now we ask, Father, that you would preach your word, which is Jesus. Amen. Well, you know, for the last uh, few weeks, last few times, we've been preaching on this, the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. We kind of skipped over this one verse, verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But where's heaven? What's heaven, and, and how does the kingdom of heaven come? I watched this great little after-school uh, video this uh, week, a little video on YouTube, and I just want you to watch it right now. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't <clears throat> have some destination that it ought to arrive at. But, but it is best understood by analogy with music. Because music, as an art form, is essentially playful. We say you play the piano. You don't work the piano. Why? Music differs from, say, travel. When you travel, you are trying to get somewhere. One doesn't make the end of a composition the point of the, comp of the composition. If that were so, the best conductors would be those who played fastest. <laughs> And there would be composers who wrote only finales. <laughs> People go to concert just to hear one crashing chord, because that's the end. <laughs> Same way in dancing. You don't aim at a particular spot in the room. That's where you should arrive. The whole point of the dancing is the dance. Now, but we don't see that as uh, something brought by our education into our everyday conduct. We've got a system of schooling which gives a completely different impression. It's all graded. And what we do is we put the child into the corridor of this grade system with a kind of, come on, kitty, kitty, kitty. And yeah, you're going to kindergarten, you know. And that's a great thing because when you finish that, you'll get into first grade. And then come on, first grade leads to second grade and so on. And then you get out of grade school, you've got high school and it's revving up. The thing is coming. Then you're going to go to college and by Joe, then you get into graduate school. And when you're through with graduate school, you go out to join the world. And then you get into some racket where you're selling insurance and they've got that quota to make. And you're going to make that. And all the time, the thing is coming. It's coming. It's coming. That great thing, the, the success you're working for. 
Then when you wake up one day about 40 years old, you say, my God, I've arrived. <laughs> I'm there. And you don't feel very different from what you always felt. By expectation. Look at the people who live to retire and put those savings away. And then when they're 65, they don't have any energy left. They're more or less impotent. And uh, they go and rot in an old people's senior citizens community. <laughs> because we've simply cheated ourselves the whole way down the line. <coughs> we thought of life by analogy with a journey, with a pilgrimage, which had a serious purpose at the end. And the thing was to get to that end, success or whatever it is, or maybe heaven after you're dead. But we missed the point the whole way along. It was a musical thing and you were supposed to sing or to dance while the music was being played. Well, that's uh, Alan Watts, uh, the brilliant British uh, philosopher who popularized a lot of uh, Eastern spirituality and Western civilization. Since he spoke those words, probably sometime in the 50s or the, or the 60s, uh, physicists have shown that the physical universe actually did have a beginning and so likely will have an end. So it is going somewhere. They just don't know if that somewhere is what you would call good. But having said that, Alan Watts makes a wonderful point about the point. I mean, if we simply think that life is a, as a journey, if we simply think of life as a journey in order to get to some treasure at the end, call it success or the good or the kingdom of heaven, if, if you think we're only here to get somewhere else, well, then all of our play becomes work. And we stop dancing because we've missed the point. You remember a few weeks ago, we said that the only conceivable way we could do the things that Jesus asked us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, like love unselfconsciously in absolute freedom, the only way we could lose our lives and find them perfectly coordinated by grace would be if we were somehow dancing or playing, not working, but playing along. Well, well, if heaven is only in the future, you see, we seem to miss any good that is now. Thy kingdom come. It's coming. Thy kingdom come, said you. It's coming. And yet nobody seemed to enjoy the wine at dinner as much as Jesus right now. Nobody enjoyed the laughter of children each moment more than he. He seemed to be able to dance no matter what the situation. I mean, even on the night that he was betrayed. Remember, he talked about how, how, he, how he just loved eating dinner with his friends and he even received a kiss from his betrayer. Jesus lived each moment, each moment he lived to the fullest. So number one, if heaven is only in the future, we do seem to miss any good that is now. And even more, number two, we take the good and we turn it into evil. It was St. Augustine, the first great Western theologian, who argued that for the sake of heaven in the future, we could create a little hell right now. He was the first to argue that we could make people repent or convert at the, at the point of a sword. 
He used the story of the great banquet to make his case, arguing that the master told his servant to compel people to come to the feast. He seemed to forget that that servant was Jesus, and the way he compels people is with body broken and blood shed, his, his own body broken and blood shed. So, so as we've been saying, if we, are, if we are good for some reward in the future, if we act good to gain some other good, it just reveals that we're not good right now. In fact, we're acting, hypocritos in Greek, hypocrites. So number one, if the kingdom of heaven is simply the end of the journey, we miss the good that is now. And number two, we seem to violate the good and even turn it into evil. And number three, we probably wouldn't even want to arrive at our destination because we wouldn't know what it was. We wouldn't know what the good is. I mean, we're all looking for the good, and we seem to be having like a hell of a time figuring out just what it is. What heaven is. You know, since I've been preaching that the kingdom of heaven is the ultimate destination for, for all of humanity, all of us, I've been really surprised at the number of people that have contacted me expressing concern over the idea of being stuck in an eternity where, where we're going nowhere. Because you're already there. It sounds like eternally boring. So I, I don't think heaven can simply be the end of a journey through space and time. But let's hope that heaven is more than what I'm simply experiencing now. I mean, not to rip on any of you, but let's hope it's more than what I'm simply experiencing now, because that would be disappointing. And think about it. If you only experience one moment in a symphony, you don't experience the symphony. Whether that would be a crashing chord at the end or some other chord in the middle, the thing that makes a composition a composition is that there is a composer. And the thing that makes music music is that it, it goes some, some, somewhere. And what gives you the ability to sing along or dance to the music is that you have an idea of where it's going and that you've come to trust that the composer of the composition is good. I mean, the thing that allows you to appreciate the crashing chord at the end is the fact that you've gone on a journey through the symphony. And it's the crashing chord at the end that makes you appreciate the journey through the symphony because you know that each chord, each note, each instrument has meaning. You know that all the instruments and notes will build into a beautiful harmony, a crescendo at the end, a crescendo that will make you want to listen again and again and again and again to the whole symphony. I mean, the thing that allows you to appreciate the end of a story is the fact that you've made the journey through the book. And it's the conclusion at the end of the book that makes every page in the story worth reading. Because you know that every event on every page has meaning. If life has no destination, in the words of Shakespeare, then life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. But when I read a really, really great story like 
the Lord of the Rings, and I get to the end, I realize that all the sound and fury, well, well, it signified something. It signified something wonderful, something beautiful, and I want to read it over again. And the second time will be better than the first, and, and I'll begin to not only read along, but I'll begin to live my life along. I mean, I might actually cast my ring in, into, the, into the fires of Mount Doom al along with Frodo. I might even go on a journey with Frodo in my heart. When I listen to a really great musical composition, like Free Bird by Leonard Skinner, that's the best I can think of. When I listen to Freebird and I get to the end, I'll want to hear it again and again and again and again. And at a certain point, I will want to, to dance and scream and drive my car 100 miles an hour down the freeway because I just cannot contain the joy. Do you suppose that there could be a story so great or a symphony so beautiful that you would never, ever, ever want to stop hearing it once again? For each time you heard the music or read the story, you found deeper and deeper and deeper meaning and greater and greater and greater beauty. Now, now, now if I thought that I had to write the story myself, if I thought that I had to compose the song myself, well, I couldn't really play along. And how would I know that the song was good if all there, there was, was was me? And if someone said, well, then you write and you compose and it better be good or things won't be good for you, well, what would happen? Well, all my play would turn into work and my dance would be nothing but painful discipline. That's what happens to children in this world and why they stop dancing. They grow up. they become responsible and no longer able to respond to the music. They're no longer listening, no longer trusting anyone but themselves. And at that point, we call them adults. Well, if I thought that I was the author of my own story and the, and, the, and the composer of my own song, we say I couldn't play along and I would stop dancing. And if I didn't trust the author or the composer, well, I think I would get stuck. I'd get stuck on one page or maybe addicted to one note. I mean, that's what addiction is, isn't it? That's what sin is. It's like going to the symphony and hearing a beautiful A minor on the oboe. So you stand up and you stop the symphony and, and you say, I demand that you keep playing that A minor on the oboe. That was awesome. Keep playing it. You don't trust that the composer could create more beauty. You don't trust that the other instruments also matter. You, you don't trust that the A minor will return as part of a crashing crescendo, resurrected in glory. It's like having a glass of wine. <clears throat> then another, and another, and another, and another, unaware that you are destined to forever drink the wine of the kingdom. 
It's like having sex, but refusing to surrender control, unaware that you are destined for a communion of infinite ecstasy with your Creator. Well, I'm just saying that heaven cannot simply be the end of a journey that sucks the life out of every moment now, and heaven can't simply be whatever is now, regardless of where it's headed, for then we couldn't really sing or dance or play along. We could not entrust ourselves to the composer. Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yahweh, I am that I am. Sounds like now and forever. Verse 10, your kingdom come. Your will be done. 200 years from now after the, the rapture um, and, and, and then the 10 nation European convention. That's not what Jesus said. It's not what he means. Listen close. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is already, as it is already in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, says Jesus, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As we talked about the last three times, the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of forgiveness, forgiven to us, in which we constantly give or forgive and so the idea that we could ever earn the kingdom of forgiveness is just like an insane illusion called hell verse 16 and when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocritas the actors the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We talked about these verses several weeks ago. Remember when we talked about the disciplines of almsgiving, prayer, and fasting? And, and how discipline, discipline at a certain point can turn into a dance. Fasting simply means not eating. And there are lots of reasons for not eating. C.S. Lewis wrote, I think our present outlook might be like that of a small boy who on being told that the sexual act was the highest bodily pleasure, should immediately ask whether you ate chocolates at the same time. On receiving the answer, no, he might regard absence of chocolates as the chief characteristic of sexuality. In vain would you tell him that the reason why lovers in their carnal raptures don't bother uh, about chocolates is that they have something better to think of. The boy knows chocolate. He does not know the positive thing that excludes it. We're in the same position. Hence, where fullness awaits us, we anticipate fasting. To some disciples of John the Baptist, Jesus said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. It's interesting that Jesus equates his absence with fasting. I don't know of any place where Jesus commands fasting, but he does command feasting. And, and he himself is the feast. He's not the fast. He's the feast. And he said to his disciples, I have food of which you do not know. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to the devil, while being tempted in the desert, he said, man, Adam, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, Jesus is the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he's the will of God. Perhaps we could break our addictions to food, sex, wine, and even chocolates by feasting on him somehow. But if you fast for some other reason other than feasting your soul on him, I think you're likely to become addicted to something far worse than chocolates. And that's your ego. And proud people never sing along. They make terrible dancers. Verse 19, do not lay up thesarizo. That's a fascinating verb, a translated treasure, which can also be a noun, and, and, and the noun can also be the treasury. Thesaurus, we get thesaurus from this, and a thesaurus treasures meaning in a, in a word. Do not thesarizo, do not treasure for or to yourselves. Do not treasure to yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up treasure to yourself, treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so I think Jesus is saying, yeah, don't work and work and work and work to retire here. However, you can put your treasure in heaven. But that's our question. When and where is heaven. Listen closely to what he literally says. Don't treasure treasure to yourself on earth. Treasure treasure to yourself in heaven. God, that's weird. It's like I have two selves, one on earth and one in heaven. Treasure treasure to yourself in heaven. For the Jew, Treasure was placed in the treasury, which was in the tabernacle, which you know became the temple. Treasure was that which was devoted to God, for you already knew that it belonged uh, to God. And Jesus tells us that his body is the tabernacle or the temple, and, and then we discover that we are that temple. Treasure, treasure to yourself in heaven, says Jesus. So where's heaven? Well, it's coming. We just prayed that kingdom come, and yet it's here. Matthew 3, 17, 4, 17, and eleven twenty. The only time in all of his gospels that Matthew uses the word repent, so this is important, and it's all in the same sentence. John comes preaching, Jesus comes preaching, and Jesus tells the 12 to preach this. Repent! That means change your thinking. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And at hand, 
means at hand. Where's my hand? Here, it's right here. Luke 17, Jesus says, it's in the midst of y'all or within y'all. Matthew 12, Jesus says the most amazing thing about the tree, that we can make it good or bad, and then he refers to the human heart as the treasury. So heaven is coming. Heaven is coming. That means heaven is actually on a journey. Heaven's on a journey, and yet it's already here. So you could say the end is coming. Well, that means the end is on a journey, and yet the end is somehow also here. So you might say the end is the way, and the way is the end, as well as the beginning, kind of like the plot to an amazing story or, or the, the logic, the rhythm of a beautiful song. You know, the Jews were on a journey. Perhaps you read about that. Through the wilderness to a promised land. A promised land that was a picture of the kingdom in the end, as well as the paradise of Eden in the beginning. And on the journey, God had them build a tabernacle that became a temple which also contained the treasury. In the heart of the temple was an inner sanctuary that contained the judgment of God between two cherubim like those cherubim that guarded the way to the Garden of Eden. The book of Hebrews tells us that it, it is the presence, that inner sanctuary is the presence of the coming age. So you see, their destination, because they're carrying this thing with them, their destination was with them their entire journey. And they were on a journey to where they are. In the temple, the inner sanctuary was separated from the outer sanctuary by a curtain. When we took Jesus' life on the tree and he gave his life on the same tree, that curtain ripped from the top to the bottom. Scripture says that curtain separating this age from eternity is Christ's flesh. Do you remember that when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to two disciples on a journey, journey to Emmaus? And as he walked, he opened scriptures to them, and he revealed that he was always on the journey with his people. As he revealed these things, well, he was hidden to these two disciples until he took bread and broke it and gave it to them, and then their eyes were opened. In the Revelation, John sees present tense. He sees. He's talking about something he's seen now, in the now. He sees the new Jerusalem coming down. But you see, it's Jerusalem. That means the new has been hidden in the old all along because he recognized it. The new Jerusalem is shaped like a temple and is in fact a bride. In the middle is a throne and on the throne a king who, who stands as a slaughtered lamb. The king does not conquer as other kings. This king conquers with sacrificial love. This king is the heart of our father manifest in human flesh, a king dumb is the dominion of the king, a king. So pray, our Father, thy king dominion, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So where is the king dumb of heaven? I keep showing you this timeline 
because uh, modern people, unlike ancient people, just don't seem to get it. The kingdom of heaven is the seventh day. God's promised rest, the coming age, when and where everything is good and it is finished. We live on this timeline surrounded by eternity. Eternity is not so much timeless as it is timeful. Eternity contains time and fills time such that we don't sit around doing nothing in heaven. In fact, I think we do everything, but we do it without fear. No longer slaves to time, but masters of time. And I doubt that we could get bored. Because, see, boredom is a function of time. And once we've recognized the plot to the story and discern the rhythm of the song, we'll discover that the plot is so good and the rhythm so beautiful that we will never tire of listening, never exhaust the depth of meaning on every page of the story that is in fact your life, which is in fact Christ's life, given to you and given to me and given to all of us together. Well, you see, I mean, you, you can see it on the on the diagram, the kingdom of God really is at hand. It's all around us. It's all around us just like a mother is all around a baby in her womb. The kingdom is all around us and even within us, like DNA of the father and of the mother in every cell of a baby in a womb, like the oxygen the mother breathes is the oxygen in the baby. Space and time are like a womb. And we are on a journey that is our own creation. We're being born through a torn curtain that is the body of Christ, broken and bleeding for each one of us. In other words, this is the door, the judgment of God. This is the beginning and the end and the way. This is the plot to the story. This is the logic of the song. At this tree, the Adam, that is humanity, was torn apart. And from this tree, the king descends into every person as a breath in dust. And then a word spoken into the void that is your sin. Jesus is the eschatos Adam, the superman, the ultimate man, and we are his body. At this tree, humanity was torn apart, and at this tree we come back together. We rise from a tomb that is actually a womb in the very same garden. As in Adam, all die, writes, Pi, like writes Paul. As in Adam, all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. In the words of Irenaeus in the first century, Jesus recapitulates. That means puts back together, unites under one head. Anakephaliao in Greek. He, he recapitulates Adam. That is humanity. Ephesians 1.10, the plan for the fullness of time to unite anakephaliao, 
all things in him, Colossians 1.20, making peace by the blood of his cross, his, his tree. On the last day from the throne in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, as if he is God, is, uh, his father is our father, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. Why? Because he's in them. His body and his bride. Do you know he is the treasure buried in the dirty field that is your brother and your sister? And he paid the absolute highest price to buy that field. He's the seed buried in broken and dirty ground that turns into a kingdom. He's the leaven and the bread that infects the whole loaf, but not with sin, with righteousness. He's the beginning and the end. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light of the world. He's the plot of the story. He's the rhythm of the song. He's the logos, the logic of love, who is our creator. He is the king of the kingdom, and there is no greater treasure. And he is at hand. And that means that your journey through space and time is a treasure hunt. In other words, everything is wonderful if only you trust enough to seek. To seek first the kingdom. This world must be like one of these highlights, hidden picture pictures. You remember these? In the doctor's office uh, waiting room when you were a kid? They were there when I was a kid. When my kids were kids, they were there. I've been told that they're still there. Awesome. Each picture looks like just a regular old picture. I mean, it could be of, of anything. But what, whatever it is or was, it was usually rather boring until you discovered that there were pictures hidden in the picture, like treasure in a field. And, and you got to find them. That's the point, the treasure. First thing at Dr. Shugart's office, I'd look for this page in the Highlights magazine, the page of the Highlights hidden picture picture. And if someone had already like circled the hidden pictures, do you remember that? I felt totally violated, violated. For the joy was the hunt for the pictures, hidden in the picture, the treasure. That's the point. Sometimes people wonder why God just doesn't reveal everything up front. But you know, he makes us seek. Maybe he wants us to enjoy a treasure hunt that is finding and being found, getting the point. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you, says Jesus. He's, a, he's about to say that. It's ironic, but once you realize that the picture isn't the point, the whole picture becomes important because it hides the point. You pay attention. The trees are greener. Every person, or teddy bear, as in this case, is more interesting. Why? Because they hide the point. Sally's Smoothie Shop. Do you see that? It says Sally's Smoothie Shop. Sally's Smoothie Shop is not about making money. <laughs> That's not the point. 
It's about hidden treasure. That's the point. You know, two people can have the very same job, perhaps selling insurance, and one will be bored to death and longing to retire, and the other will be filled with life and always eager to answer the phone because they're looking for treasure in everyone that they meet. That's the way my dad was at the end of his life when he was selling real estate. <laughs> he used to go, how do you do this, dad? That's how. This life is like a highlights hidden picture picture. But if you don't know that, and you don't have the key to the picture, you'd think it was about selling smoothies and making money. Every highlights hidden picture picture had a key on the side of the page that revealed the treasure hidden in each picture. If this world is like a highlights hidden picture picture, I, I think this would be the key on the side of every page, this or, or this or this. Sometimes when I, could, I couldn't find the picture, you know, in the doctor's office, the picture in the picture, my mom, I remember, she would, she would say, Peter, here, let, me, let me show you a secret, honey. Um, and then she'd take the highlights hidden picture, picture and she'd turn it upside down. And then she'd say, now look again. At first, the cross seems upside down, doesn't it? But turn the world upside down and look again. The last are first. The humbled are exalted. Those that lose their lives find them. I mean, maybe our Father, maybe you're experiencing this, maybe our Father turns our world upside down every now and then to help us find the treasure. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, writes Paul. He's the beauty in every sunrise. He's the life in every person. He's the truth in every statement. And he's the way from one moment to the next moment. You see, each picture is like one frame in a movie that is your life. And so the treasure is not static, it's dynamic. The treasure is filling each picture, just as Jesus the Christ fills all things, all of space and time with himself. The treasure is filling each picture and coming together. Listen again. This is the plan for the fullness, the filling, this is a plan for the fullness of time to unite, that's the coming together, all things in him. When I was a kid, I just loved the highlights hidden picture picture and these cellophane pictures in our world book and encyclopedia. They illustrate um, how, how a body comes together. So when my parents passed away, I made sure that I got this book. This is H out of the World Book series and the section on human body. I was particularly interested in this for some reason, but you can see what happens here. You, you have some bones and some, and some uh, meat 
And then you, you add, ooh, intestines and a, and a brain. I mean, that's kind of gross, right? And then, and then you add some, some lungs and blood vessels, and, and then you add more bone and meat. And now this was 1964, and so there was no skin. I remember thinking, dang. I mean, it kind of looks like a man, but I thought, oh, what if it, what if it was a woman? But you get my point, right? It starts out rather gross and painful, but it turns into a treasure. A man, or even better, a woman. We see the kingdom of heaven, that is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Well, it starts out rather gross and painful, like body broken and blood shed. But as it comes together, the treasure is revealed. It comes together by grace, through faith. That is forgiveness. So I hope you see that the hidden picture isn't static, but actually ecstatic, for it comes together in delirious joy. It's the ecstatic joy that Michael Fleener described last week. Remember, as he forgave his enemies and they were all joined in and through the body of Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, writes Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. The treasure is the light of the gospel, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the story of Jesus coming together like the plot to reality. The gospel is the logic of creation like the crescendo of a symphony as every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them begins to praise the one that sits on the throne and everything takes on meaning. It's the movement of life that flows through all our temples of clay just like blood through a body as we all begin to realize that none of us are alone and God is our Father and everything, everything is free forgiven. Seek first that kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. You know what that means? Worship the king. He is coming and yet he is always at hand. Seek, says Jesus, and you will find Next verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, single, sound, or pure, your whole body will be full of light. The light in your body lights up your body. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Mammonos, mammon in, in, is the Greek. Mammon doesn't, doesn't really mean money so much as possessions. So, how's your eye? What do you, what do you see? Do you see something to possess? In other words, is he part of your kingdom? Or do you see something or someone to whom you would surrender? Like a king. 
If you see something to possess, all your treasure will begin to rot and the thief will break in and begin to destroy. But if you see someone to whom you would surrender, he will possess you like music possesses a dancer. In fact, it's already happening even as you begin to believe. He will possess you like music possesses a dancer and you will begin to dance and you'll be joined by other dancers and it will turn into a party and indeed an entire new creation. You understand? Jesus doesn't belong to you. He does not belong to the Presbyterians. He does not belong to the Baptists. He does not belong to the Roman Catholics and he does not belong to the Christians. Jesus does not belong to anybody but God. And everybody belongs to Jesus. He's the king. <laughs> and you are his kingdom his kingdom of heaven. And now I have a million stories and no more time. So I'm going to end where I ended last week. The king doesn't need you to do something. The king wants you to see something. And when you see that something, you will do everything. And you will dance. Maybe that's why you're on this journey, <laughs> to meet the king. Well, you see, the king is in George Floyd. And the king is even in Derek Chauvin. And the king is in Rayshard Brooks and Garrett Rolfe, or however you say that. There's treasure in every moment of space and time. And now it may be terrifying at first to look, but look again. The king took, took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat, and do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, saying, This is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. So, what do you see? Bread and juice from Safeway? Good to eat for, for food? Maybe you see knowledge of good and evil. To be desired to make one wise. A delight to the eyes and a desire to make one wise. Or maybe you see, you know, like an important cultural tradition that people really ought to pay more attention to. Maybe you see life lessons that you can apply to your life. Or do you see treasure? Treasure, treasure to yourself. 
in heaven. And so we invite you to um, participate at home or here. Uh, come forward and you can get one of these cups as Vince and Carrie sing. When you take communion, when you come forward, you are confessing that you have taken the life of Christ as a sinner. And you are announcing that you are now receiving the life of Christ as a worshiper of the king in his kingdom. Believe the gospel. Amen. Several years ago, Jack Kelly, a reporter for USA Today, gave a piece of his grapefruit to a starving boy in Somalia. Dead bodies lay all around. The boy uh, had a distended belly. The worms were eating him. Uh, he was desperately hungry. But when he gave him the grapefruit, he, he didn't eat it. He, he appeared to say thank you, and then he began walking toward his village. Kelly said that he followed him at a distance so that he, he wouldn't see that he was following him, and he watched as this African boy walked into his village and up to another boy, a little bit younger apparently, lying on the ground who looked as if he was dead, eyes glazed over. And, and the first boy took off a piece of the grapefruit. He chewed it, then he took it out of his mouth, and he put it in the mouth of this other boy, and he worked the jaw up and down, and, and he found out that he had been doing this for two weeks, <laughs> fed the boy all of his grapefruit, and he discovered that this boy was his brother, his little brother. So this big brother had been doing it to this little brother for two weeks, and Jack discovered that two days later, the big brother died, starved to death, and the little brother lived. So what was that? Simply a tragedy? Or was that treasure? See, I don't think that was just an African kid. That was our big brother. That was the king of the kingdom. That was my king. And it is a thrill to worship him. King of the kingdom that is eternal, and yet it is at hand all around you. Treasure, treasure to yourself in heaven. In other words, believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.